I was just sitting here and I was singing Amazing Grace and thinking about what I was going to preach on and all the things that the Lord had done for us. From Joshua, the 24th chapter, I'd like to read a scripture and then continue to talk a little bit here about how good the Lord is. Joshua 24, verse 13. Joshua 24, 13. And I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them of the vineyards and olive yards which ye planted not, do ye eat. Now isn't that great? That's the way the Lord is. That is exactly the way the Lord is. And God is so good to His people. And I was just looking down at the floor and I saw all the X's where people have been married. You can't believe the number of X's we have up here. Now, over here where the second attendant uh, behind the bridesmaid looks like there's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. I see seven X's here on the floor that represents seven different weddings where people have made their way down to to the altar praise God and as a result we have some very happy couples and uh, some of these exes that are up here there are already children in the families and we hear some of them crying now throughout the building <laughs> <laughs> We're not saying that to embarrass, embarrass Sister Kathy. I think it's just great, don't you? God's been so good to us. Let's just lift our hands and praise Him for what He's done. Thank you, Jesus, Lord. You've been so good to us. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the name of the Lord. All right. I want to continue to read. Now therefore fear the Lord. Verse 14 of chapter 24 of Joshua. And serve him in sincerity. And in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood. And in Egypt. And serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord. Choose you this day. Whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood. Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Isn't that great? Praise God. You may be seated. I am so very thankful for the apostolic church. And in particular, Calvary Gospel Church. We had a group of young people going over to the carnival. We had a table set up there. Last evening, Brother O'Neill informed me that they had given away 500 Prophecy Update newspapers and had signed four people up to search for truth uh, yesterday. And I just really do thank God for that. Brother Rich Thomas was telling me that he uh, worked at the table 
and he just really poured his heart out in deep, sincere appreciation to the holiness standards of Calvary Gospel Church. This hot weather, people are wanting to pull their clothes off. Isn't that right? And it is indeed a great privilege to be able to uh, know that uh, you can have peace in your heart and that you can you can actually dress modestly and, and love it. Now, I would not, whether I was a man of the world or not, I would not want my wife dressing like some of the ladies that I have seen recently. I've just got to tell you, I just was coming to church this morning, there was a lady walking down the sidewalk, and, and uh, it, it was just really pathetic. I would not want my wife dressing that way. Just no way. And I do appreciate the modesty of dress and the standard. While it's not all outward appearance, Jesus gave the key. He said, God looks upon the heart. Man looks upon the outward appearance. At that particular time, he was stressing what God actually saw in the heart. What man saw on the outside. So certainly we're not hiding our nakedness from God. But indeed we are from other people. And that is quite an important thing, I think. And you may say, why? Well, because the Bible stresses it. And if the Bible stresses it, I guess I'll just believe the Bible. We'll just stay with the Bible. Praise God. And it, uh, it is indeed good to know that we have a church full of conscientious ladies who dress very modest. And I just want to say to all of you modest ladies, thank you so much for caring. I think it does mean a whole lot to the world. You'd be surprised the places that Sister Grant and I go, that, that uh, restaurants and various places where people come up and comment on my wife, the way her hair looks and the way she's dressed. We have had so many waiters and waitresses and managers and uh, hosts and hostesses to come up in restaurants and places of business and say, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate the way you look. I just wanted to put this in this morning because it seems like that the wiser you get, In certain areas, the more heathen you also get in certain other areas. Isn't it strange that we, we just funnel so many dollars and cents into foreign aid and assistance. We feel so sorry for uh, heathen people and we clothe them in all this. And right here in the asphalt jungles of our own cities, we pull our own clothes off. I mean, that's, that's the truth. And if you uh, disagree with me, I challenge you to just take the Bible and read. And make a study of what the Bible actually has to say about it. When Jesus cast the demon out of the two men, or the demons, legions, out of the two men that dwelled in the tombs at Gadara, the first thing they did, they clothed 
themselves. There's just something about about uh, evil ways that uh, people just want to, when they fall off the devil, they want to pull their clothes off. And the devil has so commercialized sex and things in our present day and pushed it all out of context that if you're not in the church, it's hard. Now, I'm speaking not from experience because I've been in the church for a long time. But from the number of people who visit my office who are not in the church, it's hard to be happy if you're not in the church with one woman or one man. But we are in the church indeed. And when you get in the church, there's just something appealing about giving your heart and your love while you walk on this face of the earth to one person. Isn't that great? It, there's something about it. It's just, just a glorious thing. God has been so good to us. I want to go back over this scripture. Joshua 24:13, And I have given you a land for which you did not labor. Isn't that something? And cities which you built not. And you dwell in them. Of the vineyards and olive yards which you planted not do you eat. Did you know that God is a God that likes to do good things for people? Sometimes you'll meet an individual who feels that God is a God that likes to do evil for people. Impose hardships and trouble and sorrow and trials upon them. That's not true. Because the blessings of the Lord rested upon Israel, this is what he says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord. In other words, God is awesome enough and powerful enough to take and give you things that you do not deserve. Now, because of this, you need to respect Him. You need to fear Him. You need to reverence Him. And you need to serve Him in sincerity and in the truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood. In America, we are not considered to be an idolatrous nation because we don't serve idols. But idolatry, according to the scripture, one thing that God really hates is putting before God, the true and living God, a substitute. You remember in the Old Testament when the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines and was taken over and it was put in the great temple where Dagon, the god of the Philistines, stood? Dagon was just a great big old stone god that they had made. And they put the Ark of the Covenant right alongside of Dagon. Well, what happened was the next day when the Philistine priests came out to offer sacrifices to Dagon, what had happened? Dagon had fallen down. And so he picked him up. I don't know how big he was. He may have had to get in a crew of people. Let's pick him back up. The next day he had fallen down again. 
The third day when he went in, not only was he fallen down, but his head was broken off. He was destroyed. Now this is all symbolical. God will not stand alongside any other God. He will not put himself as an equal with any other God. God is going to be number one in your life or he's not going to be number anything in your life. And why should he not be? Simply because he has given you life and breath and everything that you have. Now, Paul spoke to the Grecians concerning this. He said, God is not far from any one of you. There are people in our world who don't even believe in a God, and yet God's merciful to them. Why? Because he doesn't want people to perish. He does not want people to perish. Now, the thing about Joshua was that he forced people to make up their minds. And I'm going to be talking to you this morning about Making a decision for God. Making a decision for God. Now throughout the scripture, great men of God, even Jesus Christ himself, constantly forced people to make decisions. Preaching itself is expounding the word. And when the word is expound, unlike teaching, in which it, the word of God is explained... Preaching demands decision. It demands decision. Now, in the Bible, when messages were preached, decisions were always made. Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost in Acts, the second chapter. 3,000 people decided they would serve the Lord. Peter didn't just point his finger and say, Now, make a decision. The very context of what he was preaching forced them to decide. That's the way preaching is. Now when you go to Acts the 8th chapter where revival spread throughout Samaria. The Bible just says that, that Philip went and he preached Jesus Christ. A decision was made. While Philip left that great revival and went to uh, the desertous place and talked with the Ethiopian eunuch, all he did was turn to Isaiah 53 and he began to preach Jesus unto him. And the man said, see here is water, what doth hindereth me to be baptized? A decision was made. I'm sorry to say that all decisions in the New Testament were not that favorable. There were some decisions that were made. Uh, Agrippa uh, Herod Agrippa, who Paul stood before, decided that he wouldn't serve the Lord. He said, almost thou persuadest me. In other words, you're, you're, you're very persuasive, Paul, but not quite enough. Now, the reason why that Joshua was, was forcing people to make that decision is because it appears that they had already made the decision to serve the Lord. God was good to them, and God was great. 
However, certain circumstances will come along and alter your decision. I like to see people make permanent decisions. Permanent decisions. Decisions that are everlasting. Now, making decisions is not easy. The making of an important decision is very difficult for some people. Others seem to make up their mind quickly and readily. But I do not know of anything in this world that will rob you of true peace more than being indecisive, in the middle, in limbo. And there are people who will just just shift back and forth all the time. Now, Jesus had this to say, and I'm going to go back to this later on. In Matthew the 11th chapter, verse 28, Jesus said, Come unto me, all of you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And there is rest when you make a decision to serve God. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Not too long ago, I happened to be in a service, not here in this church, but I was in a service. And the Lord just gave me a word of knowledge for the people. And it went like this when it came to me. That there were so many people in that particular church in which I was ministering that had not really made up their mind. They were so busy getting in and out of the yoke in which they could not find rest as a result. Now, I used to plow a team of of mules. Used to plow a corn crop and a cotton crop back in Texas. And uh, sometimes... Uh, it is very, very difficult to get some of those animals harnessed up. Now, how many of you have ever plowed a team of mules? I doubt many of you have. Have your brother Washburn has? But uh, uh, we had a we had a mule by the name of Smokey, and uh, Smokey was one of the better plow horses or mules that I've ever seen. Uh, he would just he would do everything right. But I'll tell you one thing, to get him harnessed up with something else. Uh, we had a big pasture in which he ran in, and nobody could catch Smokey but me. And I'm not for sure why I could catch him, but he would make a run at you and challenge you. He didn't want to be harnessed up. And he would run right straight at you, and you'd think he's going to run over you. And so all the people who used Smokey on different occasions, we had a number of neighbors that would use him because he was excellent to plow alone in a a garden. See, some mules will work as teams, and some are just singles. You have to plow them alone. They won't pull it with anybody, I say anybody, any other mule. Now, you may not be able to relate to this, but you can just imagine... Here I am, a, a 12, 13-year-old boy. I actually plowed a team of mules in the field when I was in the 6th and 7th grade. Now, I know what hot weather's all about. I know what perspiration and sand's all about. And I know what mule aroma's all about. <laughs> right? 
There was for a while that I chewed tobacco before I gave my heart to the Lord. There was one brand of tobacco that I would not chew. It's called brown mule. And the reason why, because I know too much about mules. But I'm going to tell you, Smokey would make a run right at you and nobody catch him. And so they'd have to first come and get me. And I'd have to go out in the pasture and Smokey would make a run at me. And you know what I would do? I'd stand there and when he got about six foot from me, I'd take the bridle in my hand and I would rear back like this. And he knew that I was going to knock the living daylights out of him. And he would just slide in and stop. (laughs) But he would scare a lot of people because you didn't know if he was going to stop or not. (laughs) I'd put the harness on him, the bridle on him, and harness him up. And did you know what? That he would plow and plow and plow and plow. Now, the, 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 the surprising thing about it was that when you unharnessed him, you had the same problem. He'd start running sideways. He'd do everything. And one day while I was unhooking the trace. Now the trace is a chain that's hooked to the back band. And the back band, the chain goes from the, from the yoke that goes on his head. Uh, collar, there's a collar and then there's a yoke. That's a way to explain it to you. And then there's a chain that goes all the way on the back band and down to the plow. And one day while I was unhooking that trace, that mule kicked me so hard, he lifted me 20 feet in the air. And uh, that mule and I went around and around about that. But you know what? He didn't like to be unharnessed, and he didn't like to be harnessed. When he was in the field, he was all right. And when he was plowing, he was all right. And the Lord spoke to me about this congregation that I was ministering to, the problem with some people, they're so busy getting in and out of the harness that they cannot find rest. Because it's it's a real struggle when you're always changing your mind. Now some of you can relate to that, can't you? People get into church, they go a service or so, they're just so happy, all of a sudden the devil kind of hits a broadsided. They decide they don't like to be yoked up. So they unhitch themselves and lay the harness down and they go out in the pasture where the wild oats are. See? And then all of a sudden, the ground gets barren, the pasture's dry, the oats are not quite so good, the master's not bringing them in the crib and feeding them. You know, if you're going to work a mule, or any animal, as a matter of fact, takes more than pasture land for him. You got to bring him in. You got to pour the protein in him. You got to pour the feed in that animal. He can't. And and what happens is that they get accustomed to eating that, and then you turn them out to pasture, not working for a while, and they'll tear the barn down to get in. In fact, we had old Smokey one time to tear the barn door down and eat 100 pounds of feed. (laughs) Now, you're talking about a bloated mule. We had one. (laughs) But, you know, it happens that way. See? 
And that's what happens. See, we get, we get out there, and the master says, okay, now if you're not going to work, if you're not going to harness yourself up, you're not going to, you know, then just eat the dry grass. Don't, you know. You, in other words, the old saying, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Beautiful, beautiful cake. Oh, such a beautiful cake. Oh, we can't, we can't spoil this cake. But if that cake's going to stay pretty, you're going to have to keep your hands out of it. See, that's what they're saying. And if that cake is going to stay as it is, you're going to have to keep, keep the knife and the fork off of it. You can take one of the most beautiful cakes in the world, but run a knife through it a few times. Oh, it's so tender, and all of a sudden you're, you're pulling half of it out, and, and the white frosting has already turned brown, and all the flowers on it are torn off, and it really looks bad. And after a while, people come by and take a slice or so out. It's not pretty anymore. But it's good. See? And some people, what they want is, they then the world looks so appealing one day. And so they're out there, and then all of a sudden, and things get dry and get barren, and things are not quite right, and they get in a few hassles, and hardships come by, and things don't go right. Then they run back to the Lord and they said, let me, just put, let me put my neck back in here and help you pull this load a little bit. Because I'd sure like to go back to the crib for some oats. So they, they work a little while and they labor with the Lord and they're eating fine in the house of the Lord. And then they, all of a sudden they, they want to get back out of the harness. Now they are in and out of the harness so much that their whole life is so confused. They just can't make up their mind as to whether they want to live for the Lord or not. And God's prophets and the apostles of the New Testament and Jesus Christ himself constantly stress the importance of making up your mind. Now, life situations... And circumstances that come to all of us give us ample opportunity to turn around. If you don't think that you're going to find an opportunity to walk away from God today, you're mistaken. You will find an opportunity. Now, Jesus put it this way after he had preached a blistering message to some Pharisees and they had all walked away and they didn't care too much about what he said. Jesus looked at his apostles who had been faithful up to this point, who had stood by him, and this is what he said, bid that you might go also. In other words, what he's really saying is, uh, hey boys, you want to leave with them? If you do, here's your chance. And, of course, Peter had this to say. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? In other words, they're walking away, but where are they going to go when they walk away from you? For you, Lord, and only you have the words to eternal life. In other words, they're walking away, but where will they go? And people usually don't just carefully plot. A backsliding. It happens to them 
simply because of discharging responsibilities. It takes a well-disciplined person to come to church. I mean, every time you need to come to church. And you need to come to church every time the doors are open unless you're involved in some situation which you can't. But it takes a disciplined person to get up and get dressed and come to church. Now, I was up quite late last night and I didn't want to get up this morning. My bedroom is air conditioned. The rest of the house was blistering hot. So I had a couple of phone calls and of course I went outside the bedroom and wow, talking about hot. So I decided that the best place to pray this morning was in the bedroom. So I got in there. But when I knelt down to pray, it was kind of cold. So I decided that, well, what I'm going to do, Sister Grant brought a cup of coffee up to the bedroom, put it on the nightstand. I thought, now what I'm going to do, because I'm just kind of tired, I'm just going to get back in the bed Pull the sheet back up to about here. Just leave enough of my head sticking out to drink the coffee. And you talking about comfortable? You you know the feeling, don't you? Wow, is it ever nice. Now, wouldn't it have been nice to still be sleeping? Well, some are. I'm sure. But you see, you don't just go out in the forest and find a beautiful rose garden unattended. You just don't do that. Have you ever just gone out and just looks like nature, just here's a rose, here's a rose, beautiful rose throughout the rose garden, and it's all weeded and... They're just perfectly shaped and they're all pruned and this is just the way nature does it. No, friend. You leave roses out for the wild and you know what happens? They grow long and the, the quality of the rose gets small and the color gets bad. You go down to Tyler, Texas near where I came from, which is considered the rose capital of the world. And those farmers will do anything for quality roses. They literally buy nails by the kegs. And they take and they even, <laughs> they, they open a keg of nails and they put nails down because it gives them iron. Can you believe that? Now you wonder why long stem roses are 30 bucks a dozen. Because somebody took care of those roses. And you can't have a beautiful life that's in full bloom, that is complementary, without discipline. You cannot. Brother Cornelius sung this beautiful song from Romans 7 this morning. That's what Paul's talking about. If you read in Romans 8, he talks about a life that is... Under the auspices of the Spirit. What did he start out Romans 8 by saying? Now there is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not according to what? The flesh. As Cornelius was talking about that constant struggle. There is a struggle inside of me. 
There's a struggle inside of you. And some people get discouraged in, in the fact that they seem to never be able to overcome certain things. I got news for you. As long as you walk on this earth, you're going to have problems with your flesh. You may say, well, Brother Grant, what is the secret? Make up your mind who the winner is going to be. Determine before a situation happens what you're going to do. If my flesh is weak, I've got to serve God anyway. If my flesh is is giving me problems, I've still got to serve God. Why? Because I have enough good common sense by looking at people around me. I see broken homes. I see heartbroken children. I see frustrated people. I see psych words that are filled up. And I'm not going to let that happen to me. I'm going to keep serving God. I'm going to keep serving God. I'm going to keep serving God. You need to make up your mind and determine what you're going to do. I'm going to stay in the harness even though it does require perspiration every now and then. I'll tell you one thing. You know, everything in the church is not exactly coping set all the time. It's not kosher. There are people who have problems. You may say, you mean people have problems? Well, you have problems, don't you? Every last one of you. See? I'll tell you one thing. I thought so much about Noah's Ark. 450 feet long, 150 feet wide. About 75 feet high. Now, he had a pair of all the animals in that ark. Now, there were three floors in that ark, and I'm not for sure where Noah was. But I'll tell you one thing. I would not have been one who would have desired to be on a certain floor. Isn't that right? Now, I'll tell you what. You get in your car, and you drive five miles out of town to the nearest farm, and you go in the barn and stay in there 30 minutes with your nice suit on. And you come out of that barn. Now you may look pretty, but you won't smell too good. <laughs> I'm talking about some very things that are important though. And I'll tell you another thing. You see, the thing about it is, while it might not have smelled too good, there was safety in that ark. And I'll tell you another thing too, my friend. If you think the arts ark stumped, the body to drown. And the third floor of the ark probably smelled like chenille number five. And you see, that's and it happens sometimes in your own life. You think, man. I'll tell you, the church has got so many problems. Go back out in the world where you were. We're all trying, aren't we? We're all caring. I don't always treat people the way the Bible tells me I ought to treat people, but I try. But if you want to get involved in a real rat race, you get out there where nobody's trying. 
See? And as long as you live on the face of the earth, you're going to have problems. However, what will determine the outcome is the attitude that you constantly manifest while you are in the valley of decision. Every trial forces you into decision. And what you do when you're in that crisis determines what you will be when you come out of that crisis. Praise God. Praise God. And I felt this morning, definitely this morning, as I finally got out of the bed, went out on the patio and sat down out there and began to pray. I just felt more impressed that what the Lord had laid on my heart this past week to talk to you about this morning was indeed the right thing. And while I guess you can't just really call this preaching, we are talking to you about something that is very, 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 very vital. The reason why, because you see, God in the form of the Holy Spirit, see, God has manifested Himself in different forms, in different manifestations. Festations he has given himself to people. He was spirit when he created. He became flesh or sonship when he chose to redeem man. But Jesus walks among us in spiritual form today. And just as Jesus looked at his disciples and said, You see where the world is? He said, Bid that you might go also. Jesus is standing right here in spirit form. He'll knock upon your heart's door today. And he's not going to let one of you walk away from this building today without you deciding one way or the other. You may decide, well, I'm not going to decide. But that's his decision within itself. What you have actually done, you've decided to wait. Now, what I want to do is take you in the Bible to some further logic. Joel, the third chapter, and now this is dealing with the restoration of Israel. And, of course, it's dealing with the last days of Israel where the Gentiles prepare to to make war. It's dealing with the battle of Armageddon and such. And God turns back to the Jews and he talks to the Jews. The 14th verse of Joel 3, this is what he said. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Now if I were a Gentile, I would, and I am, but I've made my peace with God and hopefully go up in the rapture. But if I were a Gentile, and a Gentile is any person outside of the Jewish nation or race, I would not want to go into the tribulation period without making a decision as to whether I wanted to live for God or not. It appears that the purpose of the tribulation period is to force the Jews to decide. And all of them will not decide. 144,000 of them will definitely decide that they want to live for God. And this is dealing with the multitudes of people during that time prior to the Battle of Armageddon 
who will indeed stand in limbo for a while. Now what Joel is saying, he says, now the Lord is near in the valley of decision. In other words, God is there and God is pulling for you. God wants you to make the right decision. Why? Because you see, if those Jews don't make the right decision, what's going to happen? They will eternally be lost. But that's not just true of the Jews in the tribulation period, friend. That's also true of you today. You see, God is long-suffering, not willing that any of us should perish. And the reason why that God constantly stands near you when you try to make spiritual decisions, because those decisions could very easily cost you your soul. Now, I preached last Sunday morning about the soul. And while preaching about the soul and preaching about hell is certainly not popular... Brother Johnson made reference to that this week up at camp. Now, I do preach a lot about judgment, about hell, fire, and brimstone and such. You know the reason why? Because that's just as real, friend, as streets of gold. And there's no need of you just sitting around and and patting yourself on the back and making yourself feel that you're going to be all right, you know, when you're living like the devil every day. And and the church world is full of people who just literally live like the devil. Oh, they go on Sunday morning when all the church bells are ringing. And they take Holy Communion, which supposedly forgives them them of the sins and such. They walk outside of the sanctuary and they start, you know, same old language again. Smoking the same old brands again. Drinking the same old pubs again. And, 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 you know, they're saved. I'd like to know what did God save them from. I believe that an encounter with Jesus Christ will turn your life around. And if Jesus gets a hold of you and he doesn't turn you around, it's simply because you were not submissive to his power. Because a true encounter with Jesus Christ will bring about a definite conversion. You know why our ladies dress differently than the ladies of the world? Because they've been converted. You know why our men talk differently than the men of the world? Because they've been converted. After a while, parents get sick. After a while, they're admitted to the hospital. Then you know who they call? I was talking to a couple in our church. Their son was in our church. Their daughter is now in our church. Now, they have come only a few times, and they don't seem to like Calvary Gospel Church. And they have given their daughter and their son a hard time. Their son is now backslidden. But recently he got in some trouble. Who did they come to see? So why are you in my office? This boy doesn't come to my church, and neither do you. I didn't tell them that, but that was in my mind. How come they didn't go to their preacher? You follow what I'm saying? You will find out one thing. That there is no life that will bring contentment and fulfillment like a dedicated life to God. A dedicated life to God. 
And if the purpose for which you stand requires no discipline at all, and if the purpose for which you stand does not deserve enough of your attention to discipline yourself to it, you're not living for much, I can assure you. You're not living for much. And I'm just going to throw this in for good measure, but one of the greatest disasters that's happening to the armed forces today is the fact that they're dropping discipline standards. And all of our soldiers who go in there will tell you that. And if you want to be a soldier of the cross, you've got to be committed to the cross. Praise God. And so this is what he's saying. The Lord is near in the valid decision. God wants you to make the right decision. And some of you will walk away here today, no doubt, and you'll say, well, I don't know about all that stuff. Well, I'm not asking you to join up with anything. I'm not asking you to commit yourself to anything that you don't understand. But I'll guarantee you one thing. Friend, I'd get my Bible down and I'd open it up and I'd do some real, real searching through the Scripture. The Bible teaches us to search the Scriptures wherein them we think we have eternal life. And we need to get the Bible down and we need to get our chins right down next to the Bible. Something right down and we need to read and read and read and read and read and read and read until we make up our mind what we're going to do. Now, if you turn with me to James, the first chapter now. I hope all this doesn't sound like I'm talking in circles. Uh, I just have a lot of things that I want to explain and talk about today. But James, the first chapter, verse 8, the Bible says, A double-minded man is unstable in a few of his ways. In how many of his ways? Now, a double-minded man is a man that can not. Decide. I don't know what I want to do. You want to go to church and live for God? I don't know. Kind of, yeah, you know. Well, you want to just forget about church? Oh, I don't think we can afford to do that either. Well, what, what do you want to do? I don't know. Like the story I read one time of a man, they hired him to work on a farm and, and, uh, <clears throat> they gave him a job and, and they paid him real good. And he working on a potato farm. There are three bushels there. Big pile of potatoes. They came by, they got number one, number two, number three. He was grading potatoes. And the great big nice potatoes without any flaws or cuts or anything, you put in number one. Not so big, you put in number two. The little bitty nubbins and such, you put in number three. Well, he worked there about a half a day. The pay was excellent. And the work wasn't so hard. Had a stool, you know, it was sitting there. They came by and there was his apron. Three empty bushels. Couldn't find him. Went and checked and he'd gone through the, through, through the, the big warehouse shed over there, punched the time clock and went home. The boss man called him up and said, look, I said, uh, what happened? He said, I quit. You quit? said, look, we paid you exactly what you said you wanted. Yeah. 
He said, well, was something wrong with the working conditions? He said, nope. Working conditions were ideal. So, well, why in the world did you quit? He said, I cannot decide on what is number one and what is number two. It's the decision making. He said, every potato I pick up looks like a number one. But when I think about it, it looks like a number two. And the longer I think about it, I think it ought to be a three. <laughs> you know, and some people are that way about God. And they're that way about everything they do in life. They just cannot make up their mind. Now, you've seen people like that, haven't you? Now, it was said of Reuben, who was the firstborn of the household of Jacob. Because Reuben defiled his father's bed. Because he did not make up his mind to serve the Lord. While Reuben didn't just defy God... He didn't just go into his father and say, Hey, I want out of this altogether. He kind of dilly-dallied around, so to speak. He didn't get in and he didn't get out. And when all the blessings were handed out, you know what it was said of Reuben? It said, Reuben, the firstborn. He said, Ye shall not excel. Now, all of us like to be successful, don't we? Who likes to live in mediocrity? When your name is mentioned, what do people think? He's a great man of God at Calvary Gospel Church. She is such a modest, holy, godly woman. I'd like to be just like her. Or do they say... Let's see, now who's that? Oh yeah. Now there is nothing wrong with living in obscurity. I'm not talking about that. But if you look in the Old Testament, when God begins to write about certain people, there are certain people that beget sons and daughters, they live and they die. That's all you ever know. And friend, they're not listed in Hebrews 11 when Paul begins to write about the roll call of the faithful. They're not there. And all of us want to be successful. But the key to being successful is you've got to be given to one particular reason and purpose. If you're going to be given, if you're going to be a banker, friend, you will not be a successful banker if you've got your mind on horse racing. See? And you won't be a successful car salesman if you'd rather be selling vacuum cleaners. Now, it just works that way. You've got to believe in what you're doing and you have to give yourself to it and you have to do it. Now, that does not mean that Christians ought not to have hobbies and such. We all have a household. We live normal lives and such. However, we need a top priority. And God deserves to be number one in our life. And you see what happens sometimes with Christians. Now I'm talking about Christians now. I'll be talking about non-Christians later. But what happens sometimes with Christians, they can't make up their mind. One time, God's number one. You know, on Sunday night, certainly when the choir is singing and when the preacher is getting up to preach, God's number one. But Tuesday, 
He's not number one anymore. See? And they're constantly changing their priorities. This was the problem with Reuben. God says, Reuben, because you couldn't decide, you will not excel. But God didn't stop there. He went on to say, Reuben shall be unstable as water. Now you see this water right here? This water is conformed to this glass. Why? Because it has no particular stability. It has no form. It's a, it's a liquid. Solids have the ability to be non-conforming. Now, if I were to take my skill saw and cut out a plug of this pew right here, I wouldn't get it to fill it in this glass like this. And if you notice, this, if I put this water in a different shaped glass, what's it going to do? It's going to conform to the shape of the glass. See all these ridges right down here? Now what happened to that water? Well, right now it's in the shape of my hand. Look at it. As said of Reuben, now Reuben, you're going to be unstable as water. Why? Because you can't make up your mind. And this is the way some people are. They're just like this water. Christian on Sunday. But they change their shape on Monday. And they're somewhere in between on Tuesday. Now, when God says, Reuben, ye shall not excel. It was determined even before God said it. That it was going to be that way. Why? Because Reuben, if you can't make up your mind what you want to be, how can you be successful? You don't even know what you're trying to be successful in. You know. It's like making sightless guns for aimless shooters. You see, if you, if, I mean, if you don't have a target, why even put a sight on a gun? You understand what I'm saying? What are you, what are you trying to hit? What are you trying to do? Now, we're only going to stop there. We're going to go a little bit further in this because this is something that I think that's so very, very important. Let's turn to Second Peter. Second Peter. The second chapter. Now we're going to talk to you about angels, demons, same thing in this particular case, and false prophets. <clears throat> second Peter, the second chapter, verse 9. The Bible says, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. Now here it's talking about people who know exactly what they're going to do. God's not going to put anything upon you and you're not able to bear. Don't you know that the last crisis you went through, God carefully examined your personality. He examined your ability to walk with Him. He would not allow anything to come upon you that you could not bear. So the greater the trial, the greater the compliment. Now, you need to look at it that way. All right? 
So the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the just unto the day of judgment, the unjust, pardon me, unto the day of judgment to be punished. Now he's talking about godly people. He's talking about ungodly people. He's talking about just people. He's talking about unjust people. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-will. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken to destroy, taken and destroyed. Now, what he say here, a brute beast. You see the cattle trucks coming by? Where do you think all those cows are going? Friends, they're not taking them out to greener pasture. But you see those poor old cows are just jostling around up there. They have no idea they're going to be slaughtered. They don't know that they're going to a packing house plant. And that's exactly what he's saying here. Now I'm not uh, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not. <laughs> But he said, some people just give themselves over into the hands of angels, demon spirits, and evil people. Just like a brute beast who's headed for the slaughter. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil... Of the things that they understand not. Who are the critics of the church? The people who don't have the slightest idea what it's all about. Really. You hear radio preachers who get up and say, All of this business about healing, that's done away with. Well, naturally, they don't pray for the sick. They never have prayed for the sick. They haven't even tried it. This talking in tongues, that's of the devil. Let me ask you something. If you want to find out something about a Cadillac, you're not going to take your Cadillac to a Volkswagen dealer. That's not the place. And it seems like the so-called experts of the people don't have the vaguest idea about what's going on. Now, it's that way in the church because the Bible says it. Notice what it says. They speak evil of the things that they understand not. They don't have the vaguest idea what's going on in the church, but they don't like it. And shall utterly punish, perish rather, in their own corruption. And shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that counted pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are in blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. Having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. Now you notice this. What are they doing, all of these people? They're beguiling unstable souls. That apostolic church, they say, 
Garbage. We like it quiet, sedate. Put a robe on Pastor Grant. Teach him how to be pious behind the pulpit. See? All of that noise they make over there at Calvary Gospel Church. Got to do all that stuff. And they're looking for some unstable soul. Unstable soul. Unstable. What do you mean unstable? Conforming to whatever shape. Right now, this water in my hand runs right down into cracks of my fingers. It's trying to get through. It just fits my hand. It did fit the glass. Now it fits the carpet. Unstable is water. That's the kind of person that the devil's looking for. In other words, what the devil's saying, you don't have to make up your mind whether you want to serve me or not. Just forget about what you're going to do. It's not by any accident that Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not. To be saved, you've got to do something. If you don't want to be saved, forget it. You don't have to practice to be a sinner. You don't have to make a decision for the devil. No. What do I do, Pastor Grant, if I want to be lost? Nothing. Zero. Forget it. Get up and walk out and go out on the streets and say, hey, you're not going to make me make a decision. That's exactly what the devil wants. And that's what the Bible is saying. Give me an unstable soul. Give me somebody that will just conform to anything. Because when a man makes up his mind, friend, he can shake all hell. And sin, the very nature of it, is designed to destroy the willpower of man. This is the reason why that you do not find many men that are as old as Rich Thomas that give their heart to God. And it's a miracle when you find somebody as old as Cecil Miller. That, wait till I finish. That'll give their heart to God. Now you didn't wait till I finished, Brother Miller. That'll give their heart to God. How many people, Tom Harris's age, turn their heart over to the Lord? You know why this church is full of young people? You may say, well, because they were on drugs and everything, and, and they were all washed out and they hit bottom. No, friend, they didn't hit bottom like you think they hit bottom. They still had a will, and they knew what they wanted, and that's why they're sitting in this church today. The people who have really hit the bottom, the people who have really hit the bottom are the people who sit, and their will has been destroyed. Oh, they talk about all the junkies and the drug addicts and the pushers and the alcoholics and the prostitutes and all of this. And they just sit there. But you talk to them about Jesus. Well, I've got my own little place that I go. Their will has been destroyed. They could care less whether the preacher was on fire. They could care less whether he was in adultery or not. They could care less whether he was a drunkard or not. And while these young people were used as brute beasts, 
by Satan for a while, their wills were still strong. And while they were being held captive by Satan, seemingly at their own will, they were given an opportunity to escape. Some dear child of God took the Bible and walked right to the gates of hell and demanded of the devil, let him go. I'm going to pull him out of there. And somebody pulled him out. But if you hold a hostage for a long period of time, friend, you know what happens? They usually change their mind. And they decide, I don't want to be free. Praise God. You want to be saved? You want to make up your mind? You want to give your heart to God? You don't want to be like the water. You don't want to be conforming to every power and every force that comes by. That's exactly what the devil wants. Some unstable soul. Somebody he can talk to. Haven't you seen kids that always got into trouble? And you analyze the situation and say, the problem with this child is he is so easily persuaded. Somebody can come by and say, hey, Johnny, now we're going to go into the store. Now, you never have stolen before. And we'd like for you. You see that Super Bowl over there? Well, we could have a, we could have a great time out on the sidewalk. Go over there and get it. Now, Johnny's not smart enough. Now, this is not Johnny. But you see, Johnny's not smart enough to say, if you want to play, steal your own ball. So here, Johnny's walking out of the store, and he's got this lump in his pocket. And so the owner walks up and says, son, what you got in your pocket? I got a, a Super Bowl. Now, Johnny's in trouble. His friends are out on the sidewalk saying, <laughs> oh, Johnny, he's such a nerd. He'll do anything you tell him to do. Now, you've seen kids like that, haven't you? And they're always getting in trouble. There's some kids that cannot perceive. But I'll tell you the reason why. Because largely there's a whole human race that walks upon the face of the earth that listens to these voices. See? The devil says, why don't you go over here and do this? And they don't understand. He's not telling them to do that for their benefit. That's for him. Praise God. Would you stand with me? I feel the power of the Holy Ghost here. Oh, hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and worship God. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. I feel that right now somebody would like to step out and come and give their heart to the Lord. 
Somebody wants to strengthen their experience with Jesus. On both sides of the pulpit, there is a place for you to come and kneel and pray. Why don't you step out right now? God's talking to your heart, and you know that He's talking to your heart. Why don't you come on right now? Make your peace with God. Praise God. Who'd like to be the first one to step out right now and come? Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Now we have one lady down here praying. I need a couple of sisters to come and pray with her. Praise God. Sister Debbie, Sister Carolyn Thorpe, Sister Rowe. Come on if you would. Praise God. All right, somebody else want to come. Here's a place on this side to kneel and pray. God is moving and God is talking. Let's listen to Him. Praise God. Praise God. Come on right now. Would you give your heart to God? Would you come and renew your experience with the Lord? Praise God. Here are a couple of people coming. Some of you brothers and sisters come and kneel and pray with these. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Come on over here and pray with Steve. Steve was baptized the other night. Praise God. I don't think he received the Holy Ghost, did he, Brother O'Neill? Steve needs to receive the Holy Ghost here. Some of your brothers come and gather around him and pray with him. Somebody else want to come and give their heart to the Lord? Come on right now. Praise God. This is the day that you need to do it. Every time that you do not decide the right way, make the right decision, it becomes harder and harder to change your mind. The mind is like cement. You can reject and reject, and your rejection becomes a permanent thing. You don't want that to happen to you. The Holy Ghost is beckoning. There is a spirit of desperation here this morning. I don't want to soft pedal this. I want to give you an opportunity to come and serve God and trust God and give your heart to God. Why don't you step out right now, right where you are, and come and give your heart to the Lord. Come on right now. Come and pray. It won't hurt you. Praise God. All right, most people are kneeling right in their pew. Why don't everybody just turn? Kneel in your pew right now, if you would. Remember our service tonight at 7 o'clock. God bless you for coming and being our guest. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, with our whole heart, with our mind, with our soul, with our strength.